This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello, Robbie. Hey, Ernie. How's it going? Going okay. Can you hear me okay? Uh, it's a little rough, but I can certainly make out what you're saying. It's okay, that's good. Yeah, I know in the past we've had trouble with my headphones, uh, but I am currently watching two dogs, so I have to use a hands-free option. Hopefully it will work. Yeah. Much better than my headphones. <laughs> I, I use them only for listening. <laughs> just uh, totally unworkable, but yeah. So it's been a couple uh, weeks since we've talked, which is unusual. Yeah. Well, we've... Uh, I think I've wrapped up uh, all the time-sensitive stuff for the court uh, situation, so I had some things to work through. Yeah, but court hearings? No, no, the the hearing. Well, there's it's, there's some possibility that there is a disagreement between the lawyers over how the uh, the so we we were required to pay the trust legal fees for defending the right. trust position differently. And if the two lawyers can't agree on how that gets recorded, then it goes before the judge again. But um, we've we've paid off what we required, so we're hoping we can avoid anything even needing to be recorded. So that's uh, we'll we'll see. Wow! So almost able to put this behind you. Yeah. So we're looking at taking a vacation. Yeah, you were just looking at drive away RV rentals where you can, you know, get a very budget uh, cost driving across the country to return it to some other place that it needs to be. And, uh, oh, wow. That's yeah. Yeah, she's, she's amazingly frugal and uh, wise in terms of how to do wonderful things on a missionary income budget. So, <laughs> good. Great. Yeah, so how are uh, things going for you? Well, I've been busy with a lot of work-related stuff and a lot of similar themes between my work and other areas in terms of learning how to relax and trust God and focus on uh, the dream I had yesterday was about focus on doing things to demonstrate that I trust God rather than trying to ensure the world works out the way I think God wants it. Still there. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I heard uh, uh, demonstrate things that something, and then I didn't catch the end of that phrase. Okay, yeah, I think there's a cell phone dead spot here, and always, or maybe there's an interference when my headphones cut out when I'm in this location. Uh, You can hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. So the last yeah. I heard was so, to demonstrate things demonstrate, or something. Yeah. yeah, so demonstrate, the focus on doing things to demonstrate that I trust God rather than doing things to ensure uh, the world ends up the way I think God wants it to end up. Yes, yes. There's a speaker, Chris Blackaby, I don't know if you've run across him who uh, emphasizes that if we, that what God values is taking God at his word rather than reaching out my hand to prematurely get what God intends to give me in his time. 
Mm. You can think about reaching out and grabbing the fruit off the tree or anything else we might do to try and bring God's will to pass on our timing rather than his. Right. Uh, the interesting twist on this for me is focusing in um, um, if I want to see God's will accomplished in the situation, uh, yep. uh, ask the question, how can I demonstrate to other people that I trust God rather yeah. than myself? Um, mm -hmm. And that is an interesting um, challenge because I realize I tend to, the, the things I do to try to accomplish God's will often demonstrate my own anxiety and insecurity more than faith in God. And, yep. But it's more than just like being passive and not appearing to care, right? It's actually demonstrating right. that in the midst of this deep desire that I am trusting God. Uh -huh. And so I've been thinking about that and that the, I guess there's this, this, this uh, the two halves of that are demonstrating an awareness. Uh, and I think I said, this is one of the things that I resent in other people. If they appear to be trusting God by denying my pain, that does not come across as trusting, but that comes across as uh, apathy. Right. And, so, right. and then, or um, the issue of um, someone um, exhorting me to do what God wants as if the issue was that I was unconcerned or unaware where it's like, yeah, I totally know that this is what God wants to happen. I just have no clue how to do it. Uh -huh. And putting that burden on me to do it just increases my guilt and shame rather than actually motivating me. Right. Not the what is the how. And so I guess that's from the general thing of if I want to see other people exhibiting a certain virtue, I should cultivate it within myself rather than trying to tell them uh, to cultivate it. Uh-huh. So, anyway, that's, I know, all the little children who want to say hi to him, my son. So, anyway, um, the uh, specific thing uh, that this is all folding into somehow is I wanted to get together with you and Brent and whoever else is free tomorrow yeah. to talk about a new iteration of DBJ. I wanted to see, A, if you're free tomorrow. Yes. Yeah, I responded with a thumbs up, but yeah. Okay, good. And then the second thing is that one of the practices I wanted to explore was what you had discussed uh, when you did it with your Sears group of just kind of walking through it verse by verse rather than yeah. reading a whole block. And I was I just thinking actually, that it would be, I would be. I was gonna say, right. I just emailed you my draft agenda for tonight where I'm gonna try that same thing in just a half hour portion of the meeting. So we'll see how that ah. goes. Yeah. Okay. So, and then um, if we can do that, then the third thing was to think about, can we think about a passage to use that would be appropriate to try that with as the lead into the, the meeting. And to give some context for that, 
this is the thing that I tried. I tried a version of this with my MIT group, yeah, which was interesting, and that it was sort of half successful um, uh -huh. in that two of us uh, did a version of it, and I felt it was very impactful and meaningful. One person, I did the thing where I said, you know, imagine Jesus there with you. And he got uh -huh. so caught up in the idea of seeing Jesus as a Korean, because he's Korean, but he's always had sort of a, a distance, uh, kind of felt a little bit marginalized in, in that context. Uh -huh. so, he, so he saw Jesus as a Korean, which was intriguing, but then it like, he said, like, why am I seeing this? And that like, he forget everything else we asked him to do. So that was the sort of the beginning and end of his encounter. And then uh -huh. the fourth person had been doing lots of inner healing and seemed to be a little sick of it. And so she didn't want to engage at all in the practice. But okay. I think it was, so there was a lot of interesting data in there. And then the third thing was the one lady who did, she actually, like, I thought we were going to go back to some image in the past. And it didn't quite work that way. But for her, it was um, making peace with the fact that when a family member died, she hadn't been there for them. Oh, and uh -huh. so I kind of talked her through that. And she managed to get a picture of Jesus kind of bridging that gap and receiving forgiveness and compassion both from Jesus and his family member because of what you have been going on in her life. And so okay. I think it was impactful, but it also occurred to me that, like, okay, I had to kind of work with her quite a bit to help her see that. And that's not something that's easily reproducible. Uh -huh. right. And so, 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 anyway, so that was the, the empirical data. The, the, Okay, uh, going back to this conversation you and I had about in framing, I still feel like the heart of the practice I'm trying to get to is that we really, uh, I'm still kind of trying to find the right words this. We bring a, uh, let's just call it a selection, uh, to be a nice neutral term, is we select something in our life that we think Jesus may want to minister to. And uh -huh. the um, you know, in, in counseling situation, people come with like a very specific problem that's motivating them. But, you know, in an open small group, it's challenging to get people to that level of vulnerability or visibility. So the hope is that we, but in, in this framing of DBJ, it's the, the Bible passage is really just to kind of to till the soil bring out uh -huh. thoughts and feelings about something Jesus may want to say to us as a group and as individuals. And then hopefully then we go into some sort of, I guess I'll call it guided selection. That we sort of help people go from having read this passage and, and meditating on it to this is the uh, thing that I want to interact with Jesus around or the thing that I believe Jesus wants to interact with me around. So there's some, whoops, sorry, um, ill-defined process there. And once they have that process, then the, um, uh, once they have that uh, selection, then the process uh -huh. I imagine them going through is one of observing our feelings. Uh, secondly, okay. naming the pain. And third, yielding to Jesus. Right, uh -huh. so the... The, 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 the premise is that the reason we tend to react in ways different than what uh, Jesus wants us to is because of 
uh, unarticulated pain. And so uh-huh. is, is that we have woundings in our past where God or others have hurt us or betrayed us or where we have done that to others. And the idea is that if we can encounter Jesus at that point of pain, uh, that's where we receive healing and redemption and so forth. So still the same basic idea of trying to encounter Jesus. But rather than focusing on what we almost call the most more liturgical approach, like we did with all the, the scripture and the, the journaling and the communion, I wanted to experiment with trying a more um, therapeutic approach, I guess is for lack of a better term, where we see a situation and then by talking about our feelings, we're able to um, uh, have the feelings rather than be the feelings. Uh Uh, And then from there, sort of connecting it to the left brain by finding a name or a word for it. And then from there, bringing it to Jesus. So that is the the sort of uh, narrative arc I wanted to explore together. And I figure, you know, in true uh, DBJ fashion, rather than having a long discussion about it, I figured, let's see if we can try a miniature version of it with the, two or, with the three or four of us who are there. And then, you know, uh, see what works. Right. And, uh, you know, if it flops miserably, at least we will learn something concrete rather than abstract. Right. And so I guess I'm doing the, we talking about it now. And um, the, the, uh, the first question that I'm curious about, or the first, the thing that I'm hoping will help is trying to think about, is there uh, any stories about Jesus that um, would help inform or frame our thinking about this? Hmm. Well, uh, one comes to mind is where Jesus is at the pool of uh, not Salaam, but uh, where he yeah. the, the lame man, the lame man, yes. and he says, "Do you want to get well?" And the lame man goes off into, "Here's why I can't get well." Um, and there's a kind of a disconnect there, if we, you know, when you start to dig into it. Um, and, and the, the, the guy, you know, doesn't have the same positive, uh, conclusion to that story that we have with the blind man, a chapter or two later. Um, another is the, uh, sorry, sorry, yeah, hold on. I, we mean, he doesn't have a positive conclusion to the story. Cause I think he does, he does well, actually he goes, say, right. And, and then, and then Jesus takes him to pick up his mat and, and walk and he is healed. Right. Well, but then he, uh, the Pharisees come and say, you know, why are you carrying your mat on the Sabbath? And he says, well, the man who healed me said, told me to pick it up. And he says, well, who, are, who was this man? And they say, well, I don't know. And then Jesus sees him later and says, uh, you know, uh, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I think that's the one. And then he goes off and tells the Pharisees that it was Jesus. And, of course, this fuels Jesus' death uh, is one of the many things Jesus right, did. Right, uh, so, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, I'm, I, it's just interesting to me that you saw this as a negative outcome. Well, uh, I mean, it's positive and it's leading to Jesus' death, but the man doesn't um, have the same kind of positive 
testimony about Jesus that's expressed by the blind man, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but I know that he healed me. Uh, is uh, you know, the, I, I think the blind man is shown in a much more positive light than this lame man. Fascinating. He that is seem... an interesting person. So, so what, what, let me just kind of rephrase that because I think yeah. this is an interesting perspective. One is that, so the, the blind man uh, is very explicitly shown as uh, praising and giving glory to Jesus. Right. Whereas the lame man seems to be more just sort of neutral. He's just sort of reporting facts. And it, you, don't, you can't tell from his words whether he's like overflowing with gratitude or just kind of annoyed that the Pharisees are bugging him. And, or even worse, it seems like he's maybe uh, afraid of the Pharisees and trying to get in good with them. Whereas the blind yeah. man is very clearly picking Jesus side over the Pharisees. Right. Yeah. yeah Interesting. Okay. The lame man benefits from his healing at a spiritual level the same way that the blind man does. That is interesting. Um, I had never thought about that. I'm not sure how I feel about that, but that's an interesting observation. Um, yeah. So the interesting point about the lame man, in, you know, since we're supposed to go for a small snippet, is that he does, uh, like, not answer Jesus' questions directly. He, had, he gets sort of defensive about it. Uh, right. But right. he still ends up getting healed. Yeah. And he does at least, one of his other flaws, he at least when Jesus tells him to do something, he does do it, and he does get healed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So that's option A. And then the, the were you contracting that with the blind man, or were you mentioning the blind man as another possible scenario to work with? Well, so I was contrasting the blind man with the lame man. I think the to me the lame man is more like Balaam, uh, who does everything God tells him to, but is still you know on the wrong side of things. Um, Fascinating. So, uh, okay, you have a much more negative view of him than I do. Of course, I also saw the version in The Chosen, which made me more sympathetic to his character. Um, right, yeah. Because his, his healing ends up being the trigger for uh, Simon the Zealot to forsake violence right. and all that. Um, yeah. Okay, so that, okay, so that's option A. Uh, perhaps a ambiguous choice, which could be good or bad. Um, uh-huh. uh, the, there's another blind man who goes through this process with Jesus where he sees men like trees walking around. I think that's a different okay. blind man than the one you were referring to. Right. Yeah. That's a different one. Yeah. yeah there's another different... blind man who goes through the, um, which again, maybe the same one. I, I, so many blind men, hard to keep them straight. Uh, the, the, the one where Jesus has to go in and you know, spits on mud and you know, uses that as a tool for healing, which is a, uh, less common thing for Jesus to do. Yeah, that's the one in John, the blind man we were talking about in contrast with the uh, with the lame man. And both okay. both of Jesus is inciting the Pharisees by doing things on the Sabbath that they said shouldn't be done. So making mud on the Sabbath was you know, obviously Jesus didn't need to make mud to heal a blind man, but he chose to. Right. Um, okay, so there's uh, three options or three characters at least we've discussed so far. The other, um, um, the other, I think another blind man, which again maybe one of the same ones, I uh, was 
the one where there's two blind men, I think, who are yelling, Jesus, uh, Jesus, uh, you know, come save us, son of David, have mercy on us. And then right. he asks them, or one of them, what do you want me to do for you? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, Lord, I want to, I want to see, which is that right. like, you know, he, this guy was, this guy was I guess, sort of the inverse of the, the, the layman in the sense that he is uh, clearly expecting Jesus to save him. And Jesus, the one who's sort of almost playing dumb, if you will, mm-hmm. or, right. you know, not sending the obvious. Um, yeah. And the, you know, at this point, I actually feel because you have sort of this uh, um, negative attitude towards the lame man, that it might actually be the more interesting reflection. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though that my naive response is to try to avoid the, the tension, it's like, okay, let's just press into it. And, you know, it's a little bit unfair in the sense that we want to try and do this as like three verses, you know, maybe just the encounter of Jesus with uh, the lame man and that ignores all the context around it about what happens afterwards with the Pharisees and the Sabbath and so forth. Right. Um, so that's you know, one pause I have is that are we uh, cutting off the emotional context that would help you process as well? Um, uh, if you have any thoughts, if not, I'm just going to take a minute and see if any other characters come to mind. Well, another is uh, came to mind early in our conversation was the woman at the well of John four. Um, mm. You know, she and Jesus have very different agendas in that conversation, but. Uh, he she he does restore her into community and blesses her and transforms the whole Samaritan village out of that. Yeah. Yeah, that story feels like I love that passage and but I, that feels difficult to slice it down to three verses because it is such a long dialogue uh, between the two of them. So you're trying to find something that three verses long. Maybe I hadn't caught that. Yeah, so I think one of the things I want to do to try this time is, so as usual, I try to do multiple variables at once. But kind of the premise is that rather than doing like a full context study, which is what I typically do, right, trying to pick a whole passage of, you know, 12 to 16 passages to get the whole context of an encounter, several people have said, you know, we've been asking a little bit less focus on scripture and more time for processing, including our friend Gary Sweeten. And so thinking, okay, so I want to try and do that, which means, let me pick a passage that I can do in three or four verses, which is what we did on Tuesday night for my in-person thing with MIT. And that actually worked. It felt like that was enough to get people, because like the goal isn't so much to try to uh, embed certain concepts or even a narrative in people's minds as much as um, pull people into a story that connects with them emotionally in order to bring up something about uh, that, yeah. that as raw material that the spirit can use to pull some memories or relationships or issues up for them to focus yeah, on. So, so the lame man, you know, you could pick the three verses six through eight out of John five when Jesus saw him mm-hmm. lying there. 
if you want to get well. And the Lord said, I want to while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. So then Jesus said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. That's a, yeah. be a fine <clears throat> verse. I was curious, you've mentioned MIT. Is that your alma mater or is that a different acronym, an acronym for a different group? You know, that is, that is MIT, my alma mater. And they okay. uh, are doing this, um, just to kind of give you an update on that is that they uh, decided to launch this thing called a study center, a Christian study center, which uh-huh. I guess there's sort of like a little movement at Ivy League colleges where they've started these Christian study centers as kind of a neutral place off campus and they host events. And because they decided uh-huh. to do this in the middle of a pandemic, they've been doing everything virtual. And since they're doing right. it virtual, they've been inviting people from around the country, not just the people within a subway distance of MIT to participate. Right. And then they wanted to launch a thing they called a peer mentoring thing to basically try to nucleate groups of alumni who can mentor students about the transition to the working world. So right. That was kind of their initial hypothesis for this. And they decided to do a little pilot program. And a friend and I ended up being tapped as uh, two of the leaders or volunteering right. or volunteering, something like that. And so I ended up creating a sort of slimmed down version of DBJ for that, I call it a sort of a reflective peer mentoring process. Uh, and then my my friend who leads the other group has been borrowing it and using it. And so uh, I'm actually going to pitch the, the director of the study center to, rather than, you know, talking about sort of abstractly this idea of a peer mentoring practice, maybe why don't you guys just white label this thing and make this sort of your default mentoring practice. And... Mm-hmm like train people to do this and you know they're of course there are my students are allowed to riff and adapt and modify but the you know my belief is that if you make this a template then that allows people with a minimum of training to have a meaningful encounter you know around scripture and jesus so the interesting idea is that you know i could train a group of people and then we would have like a conference where we train a you know, a larger group of people, and then they just get sent out to start doing this. And interestingly, the the sort of the Igwet edition, which is very left brain and text heavy, is in some ways easier because it's a little bit more structured and um, similar to an existing Bible study. That's kind of both its strength, especially the kind of Bible studies we do with MIT and Caltech students. Uh, that's part of strength and speaking. So um, one of the reasons I wanted to do this practice, actually, two things. One is I wanted to iterate on this idea of the Agni study now that I've got a couple of data points. Let's see what we can do. Um, secondly, uh, I have a dream of trying to do another sort of paid full-blown BBJ session on September 2nd when my cousin is on the North American continent. So I can invite okay. him to be part of that. Even though it's one of the very first great reset events, you know, the time it didn't work out after that. Um, and so I kind of, that's kind of my, like, I've been feeling this whole summer has been kind of a trilogy. And so since we've had our first two, I wanted to do this as the third one. And then the other reason is that um, I would like to find a, uh, I would like to see if there's something here that I can bring as my formal pitch to the MIT Study Center, 
it's known as the Octet Collaborative, so I may use that name from time to time, Octet. Um, so anyway, the, uh, so that's all the th different things going on through my head. And as usual, I have no idea how it all pan out. I just cast the bread upon the waters. Um, oh yeah, so anyway, the other thing I wanted to think about before we conclude on a passage is that a lot of the, you know, there's different framings or mindsets we can bring to this. One is that I want to be healed. The other is that I need to be reconciled. Uh -huh. um, and the other is that I am angry at God. And uh -huh. so, you know, the characters we've been talking about are most people who see physical healing. I'm curious if there's any other passages that uh, are worth considering that are from the anger at God perspective or the uh, heart of reconciliation perspective. Hmm. Of anger at God or Old Testament, I don't no, no New Testament examples come to mind. Uh, well, maybe so anger at God, but well, I mean, Peter rebuking Jesus is sort of in that category of yeah. even if it's um, and certainly there's lots of places for the Pharisees to get angry at Jesus. <laughs> right. It's probably a little harder for a modern audience to empathize with them. Yeah. Um, the, actually, you know, the most interesting one there is uh, Jesus's parents who were quite angry at him for hanging out in his father's house. And oh, right. Him to death. Yeah. Um, uh, so actually, let me riff on this a bit, because that's interesting. It's like, you know, it's not something you think a lot about. Well, even in the Old Testament, I don't think a lot about people being angry at God. I think a lot about uh -huh. God being angry at people. Um, I, right. think, I do think, though, about uh, Jonah, uh, kind of angry at God being merciful. Uh, I think yeah. of Elijah, kind of angry at God for feeling kind of hung out on a limb. Uh, I think of... Um, Uh, of course, you know, Peter rebuking Jesus, um, Judas betraying Jesus, which I don't know if that's anger or something. There's clearly, clearly there's a broken relationship issue there somewhere. Um, yeah. I think there was Ezekiel or somebody that, uh, you know, uh, complained to God that, and Habakkuk too, maybe, uh, but that God, you know, told him to do these things and um, everything, everybody's turned against him for what he was saying, I think this was yeah, Jeremiah certainly had a lot of there's still a lot of people who complain about God. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the problem. Maybe, maybe I was thinking I'll go back and check. But... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any um, certainly of that list uh, uh, Jesus' parents are the most sympathetic. Uh, even though it's a bit of a uh, a longer passage, and then the um, in the the context of relationships or unity or broken relationships, and Jesus, of course, there's always the woman caught in the act of adultery, um, which is actually you know I don't know how many verses that is probably like six six or seven verses, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. I know I'll get it up in a second. I just have to get back to the computer.
Um, actually, this is got at 11 verses. Yeah. So, you know, that, might be the, that might be the one we end up using for, uh, uh, yeah, the, not for a one-hour uh, planning session. Um, maybe we may do that one for the final one because we have such wonderful themes about love and grace and the right. paradoxical relationship between forgiveness and the law and Jesus' command at the end and all that. Um, anything else around... One of my favorite really short passages is the one where I think it's the same one where this guy comes to Jesus said, good master. um, And he says, why do you call me good? And then in that same section, I think there's one where he says, Lord, divide my brother, uh, my inheritance between me and my brother. Uh And then this question of... Uh, it has that question of what does it mean for Jesus to be good and what does it mean to be judged? Because like clearly from our perspective, he is actually good and he is actually a judge. So why does he, uh, you know, deflect both of those titles? Uh-huh. You know, and in fact, you know, I think about that, that actually resonates with me uh, as I talk about this because, you know, like on the one hand, um, you know, it is kind of unfair. <laughs> like, it's like, uh, uh, and, 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 and it's, it's, you know, usually the opposite problem is we see God not, God not judging, and therefore we think he's not good. Uh, you know, mm. he doesn't care. Right. Oops, you're working up like there. Like, you're doing the opposite. Sorry. It's like, you know, normally the way this is presented is the Odyssey is like, oh, well, you God's either not all powerful or he's not all good. And we feel right. like we need to, you know, those of us who are apologists feel like we need to defend God's goodness. Mm-hmm. But Jesus says, you know, you know it's, it's almost like it's the other way around. Uh-huh. I didn't say I was good, but right. <laughs> aren't you good? Well, yeah. you know, it, it, there's an interesting paradox there. And... I think it's also for me tapping into some resentment around this idea of um, uh, why doesn't God judge and just fix things? Mm-hmm. And uh, that might be interesting to uh, walk through. Um, so, all right, I finished my walk. And the dogs have mostly survived. I think I need uh-huh. some poop on my hand somewhere along the way, so I need to do some ritual cleansing. And, uh, when, but when, either of those. Sorry. One quick. Well, uh, well I was just going to toss in one quick thought that uh, recently came across this. Uh, Chris Blackaby again mentioned the idea that we spend this life determining what father we're going to spend eternity with. Hmm. Is that like? Father of lies versus our heavenly father, or yeah, yeah, that's the basic idea. Hmm. Oops, you're breaking up again. So um, I can let you. Go. I'll let you go wash your hands, or no, you we, like, um, we can keep talking while I uh, redirect the dogs to their respective locations. Um, okay. Anyway, yes, yeah, so I was just gonna say, like, but I think either of those passages the layman at the pool and uh, the man who asked Jesus to judge between his brothers, either mm-hmm. of those feels like 
they could be a rich source of discussion and they're very small vignettes that we could work with. Yeah. So I'm happy to let you uh, decide now or meditate on it and pick one and surprise me. Um, well, I'm not sure I've um, uh, am fully captured or even have a sense that I understand what your goal is for the next thing. Maybe when we talk tomorrow, that'll come out. Um, I guess uh, one meta thought I have is that I have a fairly low view of what a one-time interaction will accomplish and a fairly high view of what um, a consistent group of people, what God can, can, can will accomplish through a consistent group of people. So I sent you my uh, draft agenda for this group I'm working with tonight. And some of those pieces may be uh, a good prompt for further conversation between you and me about um, what, uh, you know, how can, how can discipling by Jesus equip people to do something that they other and motivate them to do something with a group of people that they know long-term that they wouldn't otherwise do. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you, by the way. And the reason for this interim summer where we're doing all these random one-offs is like, I'm just trying to figure out what we can do between you and me to get us moving forward. And everyone else is kind of uh, bopping in for the ride. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that there are, Things there. So anyway, um, so I'm fine with the, the lack of context. Uh, did you want to make a decision now? Do you want to make a decision later? Would you rather I make the decision? About Do we need a to... Well, is, is tomorrow's discussion relevant to what we're talking, what you're talking about deciding? Yes, exactly. What I wanted to do tomorrow was rather than like have a discussion about doing this, I want to just do it, you know, oh, okay. or even in abbreviated form. And mm -hmm. the first part of that would be the, and then I would, I might do a little bit more. So I was like, okay, we're going to start with the scripture passage and we'll walk through it in the way that you've been doing. I said, okay, here's what I'd like to do next. Uh, this is how I'm thinking about doing that. Do you want to try that? So, you know, we can discuss it and come up with a better strategy or we could try it and then it'll fail halfway through and we try it again, right? Just typical chaotic right. TGR type. Uh, but yeah. again, I figure it's just going to be probably you know, three or, you know, three or four of us. So it should be fairly easy to pivot on the fly, but I want to try it like in the context of actually trying to do it. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, um, yeah, I think the, the lame man, the three verses, um, what I say, five chapter five, six through eight or something. Um, we could do that. I don't feel more inspired to anything else. Um, I okay. don't feel any strong commitment to it. So if you do feel inspired, otherwise feel free to adapt. All right, so the plan is that we will connect with everybody and uh, dive into that passage, and then I will surf the waves of chaos with whatever comes next. Right, and that's at 1 o'clock tomorrow. Yep. Okay, good. I'll Great. see you then. Thank you, Robin. Bless you. Bye. Bye. Sorry? Oh, Robin, you still there? Yeah, we'll do this, this on, Zoom. on Zoom. Yes. Yep. And okay. before I forget, I wanted to pray for our friend Janet because you know she mentioned she's yeah. dealing with fairly serious medical issues right now uh, right. and probably won't be able to join us because of that uh, lord i just lift up janet god this is a scary time uh, with all the uncertainty with the difficulty of getting to a hospital to get testing uh for her liver lord i just lift her up lord she's such a precious servant in your sight and i pray that you'd be fully present with her during this time and that lord she would see your healing and deliverance through this however you want to work that. 
I just lift her up to you and, and our hearts are with her. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Bless you, Ernie. Have a great day. God bless you. Great talking with you again. Bye. Yeah.